Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 336th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting in this eighth year across the world from our studio in Hollywood, California. This is the place where technology meets entertainment. It all happens here. It's a really exciting place to be. So I hope you had a fantastic Easter or Passover or whichever you celebrate. It was a great chance to recharge our batteries, have a big party, enjoy, relax. So this week, we're back to work. Now, search engines are the key to Amazon retaining hold on finding product and purchasing. You know, Amazon's, you can in, ask Amazon about a product, go on, and they hold that business right the way through. They get the advice, the order, the processing, the delivery, they get the whole box and dice. And this has kept other people out. But Google's introduced Shopping Actions, which is a new initiative that's intended to assist retailers make transactions across channels. And that'll create an easy shopping experience for consumers and in turn should drive sales. Shopping Actions could really help retailers better compete with Amazon because um, you know, currently Amazon controls the beginning of the product search process making it difficult for other retailers to attract sales because Amazon locks shoppers in from the beginning. But if when consumers use Google Search, which is the world's biggest search engine, shopping actions can seamlessly enable the consumer to purchase the item that they identify at a competitive price, and that could really cut into Amazon's advantage. The program's already live in the United States, and all types of retailers are able to participate. And Google takes a percentage of each successful sale made through the program. Shopping Actions enables retailers to seamlessly reach consumers across channels and connect their shopping experiences accordingly. And then participating retailers will get their products to surface through traditional search, Google Express and Google Assistant, as well as on different devices. And this should enable retailers to reach consumers no matter how they prefer to shop. The program features a universal shopping cart, connecting consumers' carts across channels. And a shopper can add an item to their cart after searching for it on Google and then add something else to the cart by voice shopping a bit later. That's pretty cool. So consumers are then able to purchase everything at the same time. The ability to mix and match their shopping processes may make them less likely to abandon their shopping carts. It's a great idea. It'll let consumers link customer loyalty accounts through Google, allowing Google to serve personalized results from a retailer. And if an other consumer opts to connect their consumer loyalty account through Google, they'll be served with the relevant and related other products after searching for beauty products on Google. 
not only would this give consumers easy access to what might be their preferred retailer, but would also make it easier to drive repeat purchases. Similarly, if a consumer makes the same purchase every month, Google will be able to serve them that product when it predicts they will order it next, locking in that sale for the retailers. Now, it's only just started, but Google says early partners like Target, Home Depot, Costco, Ulta and Walmart have found great success with the program. The partners using Shopping Actions have seen their average basket size increase by 30% and total conversions increased for less cost when compared with only running Google Shopping Ads. So it remains to be seen whether smaller brands and retailers with fewer product selections and customers will get similar results through Shopping Actions, but let's hope they do. Still, with 40% of the US online market, it is about time that Amazon got some real competition. They are so powerful. And you know the unbelievable thing about Amazon? They have got to be a great share purchase because Amazon's got 40% of the US market, but they've got fuck all of the rest of the world. Now, they're only just launching in all these countries. So if they can do that sort of business in the United States, imagine when they get a full foothold in India, Indonesia, and all of those countries. Woo! They will be a, an absolute monster instead of just a monster. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We've got about 1.7 million daily subscribers and it only takes 30 seconds every day to read and uh, every day we tackle a different subject. Today I think we're tackling uh, houses, built 3D printed houses that cost just four grand. They've got about five rooms and they're very cool and they're just 3D printed in less than a day and that could be a big step towards solving the homeless problem. We talk about new technology, we talk about Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain, we talk about everything. It's absolutely free, it's, information is invaluable, and we do not, repeat, do not under any circumstances give anybody or sell anybody our mailing list. So all you'll get is the newsletter. Now, if you don't get the newsletter, go to my website, bobpritchard.com and enroll. You'll have it in a couple of days. And if you don't want it, all you've got to do is tick the box at the bottom that says unsubscribe. It's as easy as that. I want to discuss with you an idea from Walmart's blog. Now, this is interesting and horrifying at the same time. It starts off with an assumption that practically everyone, I guess, can agree with. There's nothing in this fridge I want to eat. And how the hell am I going to find time to grow great? Start again. How the hell am I going to find time to go grocery shopping? Now, shopping for groceries can be a hassle for two-income busy families. We need to make the time to go to the store, park, make sure we find everything on our list, load the car, drive home, put them away. It's a bloody big hassle. But so far, so good. But what if Walmart could help busy families ensure their fridge was always well stocked? 
What if Walmart created a service that not only did your grocery shopping and brought everything to your home, but even went so far as to put it directly into your fridge? And what if it's even more convenient because you've got a smart fridge which automatically tells Walmart what you need, Walmart then delivers it and puts it in your fridge and you're sitting at work. How cool is that? How convenient is that? So Walmart's offering to do your grocery shopping, bring everything to your place and put it in the fridge. Now, I guess the question is, how the hell is Walmart getting into your fridge when no one's at home? Well, that's easy. Walmart's on the cutting edge of technology, trying to stay relevant in the era of online shopping and millennials. So you connect the locks at your home to the internet so that Walmart can get into the fridge. A fridge that's connected to the internet and figures out what to reorder directly from Walmart so you don't even have to bother placing an order. Hang on a minute. Didn't we just have Equifax hacks 100 hack 145 million customers, including names, date of birth, social security numbers, home addresses, tax IDs, driver's license details. That's Equifax. They're supposed to have military-grade security. So if military-grade security can be hacked and 145 million customers' details can be hacked, I guess the front door and the fridge (laughs) can be hacked also. So we need the keyless internet-connected door lock for the front door. This lock's controlled by an app on our smartphone. Walmart's just partnered with August Home that gives keyless entry to family, friends, housekeepers and others, including Walmart, without worrying about lost or copied keys. So when your order's ready, a delivery driver will retrieve your items, bring them to your home. And if no one answers the doorbell, they have a passcode that you've pre-authorised which will open your home's smart lock. The delivery person carries your groceries to the kitchen, unloads them into your fridge and leaves. Walmart takes care of absolutely everything. How cool is that? Now... Unfortunately, there's a side benefit. Not only Walmart can get into your house, but also hackers can. So, and you've got a, on your smartphone, you can watch everything that's happening in your home. So you can sit there in the Bahamas watching your smartphone. First of all, watching Walmart putting stuff in the fridge. Hey, look at this, Johnny, how cool is this? Then you can watch people steal everything you have in your house and you can watch it directly on your smartphone because it's connected to the security cameras inside your home and on the internet of things. So what happens when Walmart, Amazon, Safeway and assorted hackers manage your fridge and run around your home when you're not there? And we, along with some hackers, get to watch them from afar on our cell phones really cool. Now, last week, there was a fabulous story of how a young company spun out of an Oxford University lab was planning to use 3D printing technology to print out whole human organs for transplant. Now, an Austin-based 
startup believes a replication of 3D technology could go a long way to solving the issue of the 1.2 billion people who currently don't have housing. So ICON's developed the 3D printing technology that enables them to print out a 650 square foot house in less than a day. It's printed from cement. The prototype consists of a living room, a bedroom, a bathroom and a porch and it takes between 12 and 24 hours to be printed and it's finished. And in production, this price can be reduced to $4,000. So you can have a four-bedroom home made out of cement, concrete, and 4000 bucks. And it can also make a larger 800-square-foot 8, house for about $6,500. So in the near future, Icon hopes to create a community of around 100 of the 3D printed properties for families in El Salvador. So in America, if expected resistance from labor unions can be overcome, just imagine labor unions. We're not going to need brickies. We're not going to need any of that shit. We're just going to 3D print these houses and all your... Union members are going to be out of a job. Can you imagine how ballistic the unions are going to get? They are going to go ape. But if this expected resistance from labour unions can be overcome, 3D printed houses could certainly help solve the affordable housing crisis in the US and everywhere. But you can expect fierce resistance from building unions and their lobbyists and there'll be loads of fake news stories being created about how they're not safe, health concerns, all sorts of bullshit. They will go for it. But let's hope that we can overcome those problems because it's a bloody great idea and deserves to get a run. Now, my guest today is Dutch artist Robert Drayson. Now, Robert's regarded as the world's most successful art forger. His forgeries sold for hundreds of millions of dollars and they hang in the world's most prestigious galleries. And after forging some thousand paintings by various artists and 1,300 sculptures by the Swiss sculptor, El Italian sculptor, I think, Alberto Giacometti, despite the fact that Giacometti produced no more than 500 unique pieces and, of course, Robert went to jail. Well, I got in touch with Robert, and interestingly enough, after the Da Vinci masterpiece sold earlier this year for $450 million, Robert sent me an email that said, $450 million is a lot of money for a forgery. Hmm, what does that mean, do you reckon? He's a fascinating guy, and he and I have got a business deal together now, which I'll let you about let you know about very shortly. And I'll be back with Robert after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, which is being broadcast across the world this week from Hollywood in California, where technology meets entertainment. Music. 
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the last six years or so, we've given you insights into the lives of over 320 of the world's most interesting people. We've spoken about what they do what makes them tick, how they became known, what pitfalls they encountered along the way and how they overcame them. You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business and we need to receive advice and assistance from those people that have achieved success before us. So the aim of this segment is to give you information and to assist you to become successful. Now, Robert Dreesen is both an entrepreneur in a field that very few succeed at, and he's also successful having made many millions of dollars. He's also able to live comfortably in the tropics by the water, although that have not may not have always been entirely by choice. My guest today is Dutch artist Robert Dreesen. Now, Robert's regarded as the most successful art forger and one that the European authorities sought to find and arrest. But while Robert's German accomplices sat in prison, he was free until he was finally arrested and convicted. The police sought him in Europe for art crimes. Robert Dreesen forged some thousand paintings by various artists and 1,300 sculptures by the Swiss sculptor Alberto Giacometti, despite the fact that Giacometti produced no more than 500 unique pieces. So the, the artist only produced 500 pieces, but Robert produced 1,300. Now, at one stage, two of his accomplices were in prison in Germany, and Robert was the only member of the gang still at large. He was eventually captured, convicted and sentenced to prison. Now, Robert spent more than 30 years forging art, including paintings and sculptures, and he's lived pretty well on the proceeds. We found him and he's running a small cafe in Thailand and uh, Robert Abramovich, who's the owner of Chelsea Football Club, 
luxury yacht is anchored nearby, so he's living in a pretty nice part of the world. Robert, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, and you're being heard all around the world. Thank you very much for having me. You've certainly had a hell of an interesting life, haven't you? Well, some people say yes. Uh, I would agree with them, but uh, on the other hand, it was uh, stressful, forging sculptures, trying to get out of the hands of the Justice Departments, which finally they won, and they put me to jail for forging the sculptures by Giacometti. So, what is it that drives a forger, a forger, whether it be art or sculpture or whatever it is? Is it is it the money? Is it the thrill of the chase? Is it outsmarting the so-called art experts or the authorities? Or is it something else or a combination of all of those things? Well, let's say it's a combination of all, but uh, outsmarting the the experts who think they know it all makes me, well, yeah, thrills. If you make something, people can't say this is made by the original artist or made by somebody who hasn't got a clue, actually, but just doing it. And, yeah, that's actually my goal. It's not so much the money because that everybody says I made four tunes. I did it. I did, I did quite well, I must admit. Uh, no, uh, the, 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 my main goal was, yeah, forging is, yeah, my passion. Yeah. Art is my passion. And I want to do forges and make it actually better than the uh, actual artist did. So how do you determine what piece of art or what type of artist you're going to forge? Do you, is that um, related to your own style, or can you forge any style? I can forge any style, and people come to me just because of that, and they say, Robert, can you make me this or that? And that's what happened with Giacometti's as well. People came to me and wanted a Giacometti. I said, well, the biggest one Giacometti made was not even three meters. I'll make you a bigger one, a nicer one, which I did, and successfully sold it. So... But most of the art that um, you forged, whether uh, uh, speaking of art being either paintings or sculpture, um, was was most of that made to order? I mean, did somebody come to you and say, yes. "Look, I've got a great private yes. collection, and I want to"? So, people, how does so, so how does so? I'm an art collector, and I'm got got some pieces together. How do I find a forger? I mean, you can't look you up in the phone book. How do I find a forger? Well, it's mouth to mouth. People know other people and they say, well, if you want this or that, then uh, call Robert. And that's his number. <laughs> that's, how it's, that, that's how it went in my case. That's, uh, but I, I worked for many, many people. And uh, sure. it's not only Giacometti's. On a, on, a, on a rainy Sunday when it's nothing to do, I'd, I'd, I'd take a book by any famous artist. And at one stage, I made a hundred Emil Nolder, one of the most nicest German artists, uh, and uh, made a hundred watercolors on, on, on a rainy weekend. <laughs> so, 
Okay, another question. If if people all around the world can find you and commission you to forge a painting or a piece of sculpture, why couldn't the authorities find you? <laughs> I haven't got a clue, actually. I mean, apart- everybody knew I was in Thailand. Everybody knew I was in Thailand and nobody came to get me. So were you sort of looking over your shoulder the whole time, every morning waking up thinking, ugh? Not really. That would be stupid. That would have been too stressful. But uh, yes, of course, you, 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 in the back of your head, you always know somebody's coming out and get you. But then Thailand's pretty safe because they don't uh, extradite uh, for, like, why I wouldn't say petty crime, but uh, in my case, I think... Uh, Forging art is not really, really uh, uh, a criminal fact. And uh, that's why they left me alone for that long. <laughs> so I had to go to Holland myself to, to get arrested. Yeah, why did you do that? Well, uh, I got a son there, I've got an ex-wife there, and we sometimes miss things in Holland or wherever. And then, yes, I just went. So you went... You and went. I, I thought I was... I thought it was too long ago to, to, to well, so I thought that the other two were already convicted and had, did their time, and I thought, well, I'm safe now. But I was wrong. You know, they have they have things safe. at the airport when you go through that says who you are, and were you travelling under your own name, or would you have a... Yes, 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 yes. So you weren't trying to hide. Yeah. You were actually asking the no. <laughs> yes, actually, I actually did. And then this huge sentence came, and uh, I thought, well, if they would arrest me, they could say, don't do this again, man. But uh, I was wrong. <laughs> Didn't work that way. Okay, so you began, when you when you were young, you began painting your own art. And, um, yes. When did didn't you, sell. <laughs> so, yeah, when did you go from painting your own um, product and uh, trying to develop your way as an artist. Uh, when did you turn to copying famous artists to forging other people's art? There, were, there was a German art auctioneer that came and said, I need some Dutch or German oil paintings like uh, in, in, in the Romantic style, the 1850s, uh, summer scenes, winter scenes. Could you do that? I said, yes, well, of course. And uh, he said, oh, please, I'll give you 25 guilders for uh, any painting you make. So that's what I did. I was 19 years old at that that time. So when I first uh, imitated uh, other artists, actually. So if you're, um, I don't know much about... um, the composition of art, but if you're if you're forging something that's 150 years old or whatever, you have to take into account the um, the the canvas on which you you're painting it and the sort of inks you use. And how do you how do you if you want to do it perfect? Yeah, if you want to do it perfect. Yes. Well, you 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 buy an old 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 uh, old, old canvases and remove the paint that's on there and. Uh, Start painting anew. So where do you get the where do you get the paint that uh, I would imagine that like everything there's been big advantages in paint over the last few hundred years or whatever. How do you how do you yeah. re- replicate 
the paint that was or the oil or whatever it was that was used back in those days? Well, many of the oil paint uh, is still the same, but there are some particular white colors and uh, that weren't available that that, that that were different at the, at, in those times. But you can make, you can easily make them yourself. That's not so problem. Right. So it, it's not only just being a great artist; it's being smart enough to determine the materials you've got to use so that you ideally don't get caught. Yes, and that's the same with uh, with, with sculptures, of course. And, and sculptures is even more difficult to see because it's uh, it's you know bronze is if you have a bronze from today or a bronze from 10,000 years ago, it's, it's still it's still bronze. Right. And it's hard to find out uh, what, 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 what age it has. Yeah, that makes it easier for you, doesn't it? Yes, and as long as you do the patina, uh, the patina on it, which is, uh, which is also an ancient art, uh, and if you do that right with this, with several assets, then uh, it's, it's very hard to discover. So where did you learn to paint? Was that just a natural talent or did you... Yes, I think so, yes. Everybody, when I was young, everybody said, oh, wow, you can, you can really you can make really nice things. And yeah, well, and then I went to art school for a year, which which was pretty boring. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and that just started from there, actually. So what about um, sculptor? Is that a, is that a, another art that you just picked up, or did you have some? Yeah, I, 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 I once I once I bought uh, a pack of clay, and uh, and I saw a nice torso of uh, Aristide Mayol, a French uh, artist, and I thought, well, let's see if I can make that. <laughs> and yeah, well, uh, half an hour later, it was there. <laughs> now you've so. you've just released a book which I assume is self-published, yes. is it? It's published, uh, it was published last, last week, yes. Now, last week. My, my language abilities are not great, but is it called uh, Lieberfrau L? Is that what it is? Yes, it's, uh, it's, in English it's, it, it would have been uh, said, uh, Dear Mrs. L. Yeah, I looked. I actually looked it up on Google and it says in English it means Lady L. And I was wondering whether that Lady L stood for Lady Luck. No, 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 no. No, it's, 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 uh, it was a woman that once asked me, do you have any regret or do you feel sorry or do you, would you, would you have done it different? And that's, the, that's why the title is Leave it for L, because she asked that. I wrote the book. So my book is actually, I'm talking to her and explained what I did and did not and why I don't have regret of most things. Of course, there are always regrets. And that's what I explain in the book. Yeah. Um, I find a couple of things interesting and I, um, um, I have trouble sort of recon reconciling it. So I just want to run through. In the book... You claim that you're a victim um, because the auction houses made tens of millions of dollars compared with what you made. <laughs> but yes. you, 
how can you be a victim when you knew you were forging, you knew you were fooling museums and galleries and major auction houses? Um, yes, but there's a there's slight difference. If you sell a work of art for, let's say, $1,000, yeah. which is worth $10 million, yeah. I don't really think that's fraudulent. Oh. What people do with it, with what people do with it, bring it to auction houses and sell it for a lot of money. Yes, well, <laughs> I've done my job. I've got my money. Okay, but at the same Sorry? time, you knew when you forged something and you supplied yes. it to an auction house or whatever, you knew what they were going to do with it, and you, you know, you yes. obviously knew that they were selling it for whatever, <laughs> whatever millions of dollars they could flog it for. Um, surely, at, at, at very least, you're guilty, aren't you, of being a forger? But certainly, wouldn't be a victim in my. My view. I, I, I don't say I'm a victim, but I'm not that. Uh, You're not a real bad as guy. People, as, 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 no, as people <laughs> say, I am. Okay. I but think I think many people would would should should take their responsibility if they buy something like a Ferrari. You can't buy a Ferrari for a thousand dollars, can you? One wouldn't think so. Um, but no. if. Let's look at um, Giacometti's, you know, Giacometti in his life apparently produced about 500 pieces of work and you produced about 1,300 pieces of his work um, and you were brazen enough to make your own models and then cast them and stamp them with the stamps of the foundries that Giacometti had used. Now, that's... Surely that's an obvious attempt to deceive, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. How do you justify that? is an artist and I make art. Okay. That's, that's the difference, I think. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, you also, on your, on your website, you're more or less brag about being one of the world's most famous forgers. Um, That's what they call me. I never yeah. said that myself. But uh, but you believe it, don't you? I, I'm, I'm one of the well, most, well, most known, well, most well-known uh, forgers. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there are much better ones. Yeah, but well, I'm not too bad. <laughs> I think Deep down, you probably think, you know, I'm really fucking good at this. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> okay. You talk in the book about the sentence, the pre-justice system and life behind bars. Before we discuss the art world in general, would you like to sort of elaborate on a couple of those points, the sentence, the pre-justice system and life behind bars? Um, because for most of the, the listeners, they wouldn't be familiar with the uh, German system. Well, I, I call it pre-justice because before, uh, every, everything was already settled. Everybody was going to know. Everybody knew I was I was I was I was, I was guilty. 
and they gave me, but there was one thing that they said it was a gang, and for a gang you need more than one, more than two, three people. The only thing, the only one um, I dealt with was this man who got seven and a half year sentence, and uh, that was that was the only one uh, I dealt with, and, and and they would say it was a gang, but it wasn't, and that was most of the sentence. Well, would. What about the people that the, your immediate contact was commissioned by? Presumably, he was sitting there and he had these art gallery or art auctions who would come to him and say, can you get me whatever? And uh, he'd say, okay, I'll get on to Robert and, you know, give me a couple of weeks and you'll have <laughs> you'll have your Picasso or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Surely that that makes it much bigger than just two of you, doesn't it? Wouldn't that qualify as a um, gang? Well, well, it, it depends on how you see it. I, I think I, I dealt with just one man. What this man with with whom he dealt—that's beyond my 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 thing. Okay, um, for somebody who's artistic and creative. What was life like behind bars? Did you? I guess they didn't give you a paintbrush and a canvas. <laughs> well, uh, actually, I made fifty more Giacometti drawings in jail. So, but uh, I had to, I had to buy my own uh, uh, pencils and things. Yes, so, didn't get it from the state. <laughs> so you actually sat in jail. So, um, Creating more forgeries that you could <laughs> you could um, cast when you got out. No, I just made painting. I just made uh, drawings. Uh, this is a shame, actually, because uh, I, I like sculpting more. But uh, they didn't. They wouldn't give me any of these materials. <laughs> I can't say that I really. But I didn't blame them. <laughs> I, I didn't put in uh, Giacometti's name though. Right. Okay. Um, in your book, you say that it's not the art that sells, but the story. What do you mean by the story? Yes. Well, if you ever been to an art gallery, and uh, of course there's nice things there, but uh, there's always somebody talking about it as if it was the most beautiful, beautiful thing in the world, and. That's why I say the more beautiful the story, the higher the price. It's the way of selling it, not the piece of art uh, directly. I, I explain in my book that there's a. You can make an artist. You can you can, you can, you can buy his stuff for a couple of bob and uh, put it in an art gallery, uh, put red stickers on it, and do that for a couple of couple of years, and make that artist great, big, expensive. And, and and then somebody will write about it, and then that's what ha- that's like what what happened with Tiffany Lance for Barbara Streisand, Teddy Bears, Michael Jackson. That's you, you could you. It depends on who buys it that makes the prices. So, are you saying that art isn't judged on the quality of the art? Well, that's very subjective, anyway, isn't it? Um, yes, but indeed. It's. Um, it's judged on how much 
exposure and and promotion from the right people determines whether or not that art becomes. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an absolute believer in that. Yes. You know, it's interesting because three or four days ago when I was in Spain, I went to the Picasso Museum and, you know, there's a hell of a lot of good stuff there, but there's a hell of a lot of stuff that I reckon I could have painted. Um, Well, (laughs) probably not, but you know what I mean. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. So what – Picasso led a fairly – you know, he wasn't that well huge, connected huge. initially, so he didn't have the connections to go out and promote in the, in the real early days. In fact, I think the stuff that he did when he was 17, 18, 19 was the best work he did. But um, Absolutely. So how does somebody who's unknown become that famous if it's all... Well, just a matter of for Picasso, manipulation. Even, for Picasso, for, yes, for Picasso was even because he was a he, he worked hard. He made an awful lot of work. Yeah, true. And that's what, uh, of course, uh, these gallerist people want because the more the merrier. And um, that's what I say at the beginning. They'll uh, they'll buy his stuff because he needs money, of course, and uh, put it on the gallery, uh, get in the press. Uh, put red stickers and do that for several times and then at a certain point it'll sell itself. And with Picasso, because he made so much, so many things, and uh, that, that that was easy, actually. What Did you actually think at the time, well, um, I'm pretty good at this and, and I'm creating forgeries that are selling, that um, you would paint your own... Uh, works or sculpt your own works alongside the stuff that you were selling? Um, I didn't have time for that. <laughs> you were too busy forging stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, how, okay, that, that's interesting. If you, if you, How long were you forging? I mean, how many years were you creating forgeries? Probably 40, probably 40 years, something. So, and you could... You would have churned out several thousand pieces in that time, right? Yes. So how many people are out there churning out several thousands of pieces of forged art and f- putting that art on the market? Is there, a, is there a whole bunch of you? Is there a dozen? Is there a hundred? Is there a thousand? How many people are out there forging art? You're coming closer. We're coming closer with the last number. So you think there's thousands of forgers out there putting art on the market that isn't genuine? Yes. But that happened for thousands of years already, of course. But uh, the, the, the last hundred years, it's, uh, it's become more and more and more, of course. So how, do you, how does one detect whether a piece of art is genuine or just some clever bastard like you has gone and painted it. How do you, how do you, how does the collector tell? It's, it's, it's very, 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 very difficult. And I always say to people, if you like a work of art and if they ask, uh, I don't, I don't really matter. It doesn't really matter what price. If you're, if you're happy with the price they ask, put it on your wall. But don't instantly look at the name that's uh, 
uh, Andre, but uh, do you like it? Don't you? And that's that's what the prices are based on, I think. And people do so difficult about art. And it's a shame, really. The majority of people... Art should be for everybody. Yeah, but the majority of people who buy name art do it for... As a collector and for that, yeah, for um, investment reasons. So, how do they tell whether something is genuine or not? And I guess, (laughs) does it matter? Well, provenance, of course. Provenance. uh, If you, how far can you back? How how far can you go back for with provenance? uh, For provenance, and uh, that's always a a thing you should. Keep in mind. Okay. Well, you were supplying forgeries to auction houses and they were selling them sometimes for huge amounts of money. How did they cover the provenance situation? Or did they just Um, find people who didn't care? They didn't really care. So you've just got to find them. Well, if you... if you go, if you go with Picasso or with Giacometti or uh, Andy Warhol or whatever, these huge, these big, big, big names, of course, they, 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 they would not uh, sell it without a provenance. But, but you were, you were everything, everything minor than that. Uh, they don't really care. But you were selling they, heaps of Giacometti's, weren't you? Yes, but I, I never sold them at auctions. I no, sold them to, to this one to this one man, and then he he that went on and sold. No, he didn't. He didn't. He, he didn't. He didn't sell it to auctions, as far as I know. Yeah. Uh, he didn't sell it at auctions also. Okay, so you're saying that people like Sotheby's and Christie's don't bother to check provenance, but they're only interested in selling the art. So yes, do they work together? Do they work together? Or are they totally independent, or have they got a sort of a wink, wink, nod, nod, nod understanding that um, you know they'll? Well, every major, every major city in the world has a Sotheby's and the Christie's. I, I, I think that they uh, work together a bit, but sometimes not. But there was because there was two authentic Renoirs a couple of years uh, back, uh, one in London and one in uh, in New York. Right, it suddenly came on the market. Because if they um, if they sell fakes and, and it becomes known, then it screws up their reputation, doesn't it? Happened many times before already, yes. And they just get by it. For myself, I, I know that at least 200 sculptures I made were sold there. So. <laughs> um, the guy that was your point man who was... Um, buying the sculptures and things off you. What happened to him? He went to jail for seven years? Uh, he, he was in jail half, half time, same as me. So and he a, went to Portugal. Okay, is he still in the art after, business? After a sentence. I haven't got a clue. I, 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 didn't, I didn't talk to him ever since. Okay, you're, you're a fascinating guy with a fantastic story to tell. Um what do you, you do now? You're still producing art. Uh, well, I just finished my book, so uh, I'm, I'm still looking what to do now. Uh, I, I, I do. I'm, I'm going to write a new book, but uh, that'll take uh, that'll take me more time because uh, I'm not in a hurry anymore. I want to do this 
uh, I want to do this book Libre for L pretty quick, and I succeeded. And now I'm uh, writing another one. And by if people come to me and say, "Can you make me this or that?" Um, of course, I'm open to that. So, and you're producing work under your own name now that I I see. Yes, sir. So, is that? Do they all look like um, traditional art, artists, or are they your own flavour? Oh, if people can do a, a mixture between, if, if you want, uh, I just made um, a, a Banksy. Uh, I sprayed a Banksy and uh, a Keith Herring, and I put under it uh, Banksy meets Herring. So <laughs> that's what I do as well. <laughs> so you you distinguish your art now using your own name. Yes. Rather than. Whoever you are forging, so yeah, that's too much trouble. The fact that you're and there's too many people know where the hell you are now since they caught you once. So where do, does your name have a value now? I mean, if if somebody sees a piece of work by Robert Dresson, um, has that got an intrinsic value because you are famous and you are? Who you are? I, I, I did. I didn't increase the prices yet. But I might in <laughs> one stage, maybe, but uh, it's getting too busy. But no, I still enjoy it very, very much, and I do my best. And I, I was what I did before. Also, I, I, I judge the piece on my work, on the hours I spend, and that's how I made my price always. Okay. So, what's next for Robert Dresson? Write my new book about, yeah. I went to England, South England, seven years, every weekend to the auction houses. And there's some very funny and nice stories about that. And uh, alongside, I do some artwork. I hope you've got a good lawyer because it seems to me that you put out a book of your stories, um, the um, Sotheby's and Christie's and people like that are going to sue the hell out of you. Oh, well, the, the, the truth never harms, does it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, truth's no defence, though, is it? <laughs> well, I can prove it all. So uh, if they want to sue me, come on, get me. Okay, so um, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I've really enjoyed it. And a very nice time. You, you can see Robert's work by going to Dress and Art. Now, I'll spell that for you. It's D R. I-E-S-S-E-N-A-R-T dot com. That's Dreesen. I would say Dreesen Art, but it's DresenArt dot com. And you can see some of the works that he has for sale. You can read some fascinating information. It's um, It's been a pleasure speaking to you, Robert. And I'll be back. Thank you very much. With more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Network, broadcasting from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. He's an interesting guy, Robert Grayson. I enjoyed speaking with with him. He has um, created a Matisse, the dances, for us, which we have in a prominent place in our house. It is fabulous. So um, we've also set up a business called Genuine Forgeries, which you'll get to hear about in the near future. And we will be selling replicas of the great masters done by Robert Drayson, who is a huge name in his own right. And they'll be one-offs and they'll be um, blockchain registered. So you'll have the only one of those masters by Drayson. I think it's a very interesting proposition. Now, for 100 years, America's been the world's innovator. We've led the world in everything. But that seems to have changed. What the hell has happened to our forward thinking? I very seldom agree with Donald Trump. In fact, very seldom. But I think this time he's right. Even our best airports are very ordinary compared to those overseas. Our infrastructure is decaying, and we just don't seem to have a forward vision. Now, a couple of years ago, I did a 10-city speaking tour to MBA graduates in Iran. Now, most Americans are horrified when you say that you went to Iran, but it was a fabulous experience, and it was not at all what I was led to believe by Western media. What I found in Iran was that, and I was speaking to university graduates right across the country, And what I found was that 70% of university graduates in science, technology, engineering and mathematics, that's the STEM STEM, um, subjects, they're women, 70% of women. I would walk out on stage to speak to people and before I got there, I expected it to be all men. I thought women were downtrodden, you don't never get an opportunity. I walked out and there's 70% women. And that's a higher percentage than in any other country in the world. And nearby countries like Oman, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates each have over 60% female graduates in science, still more than the rest of the world. Over a third of STEM-trained talent in the Muslim world is female. In the United States, that number is less than 30%. So they have more than twice the number of STEM graduates than we do. And we're falling behind in areas we once led. The Middle East rapidly turning into a futuristic zone, a model hub for business and a delight for residents. They're leading in so many areas from web speeds to Hyperloop to flying taxis, advances in healthcare. It's all dramatic. And now Saudi Arabia has announced that the kingdom will build the world's largest high-tech solar plant, the project, which will see $200 billion invested in the next 
few years, will consist of a series of solar parks throughout Saudi Arabia. Generation capacity will be 200 gigawatts, will be an, which is enough to power 150 million homes. Now, there's only just 5.4 million homes in Saudi Arabia, so Saudi Arabia expects to sell over 90% of its generated electricity to neighbours. And the future needs of the planned new smart city mega city NEOM on the shores of the Red Sea may also be integral to the scale of the project. In case you don't know, NEOM is a $500 billion technology megacity measuring over 10,000 square miles, 33 times the size of New York. It will run on 100% renewable energy and will connect to Jordan and Egypt. I mean, these are the most ambitious projects in the world. And uh, it's projected that the solar parks will save Saudi Arabia $40 billion a year in electricity generation and create 100,000 new jobs. Wow. And they'll get to sell literally billions and billions and billions worth of power. So we can no longer rest on our laurels. We need a pretty dramatic change in thinking. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're just taking, out, taking up way too much space. Get out of the road. Let somebody who wants to succeed past. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how amazing you can be. Normal is boring. I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I will again be broadcasting from my regular studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where technology meets entertainment. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.